Yeah, so let's read uh, Luke chapter 24, 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and the forgiveness, uh, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so uh, thrilled that we can think more about the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that as we do that, Lord, that uh, we would see afresh this, the wonder that we have a Saviour who has died and risen. And we have a Saviour who brings salvation. That means that uh, for all who believe, there is resurrection as well. So, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us and build us up as we reflect on these things that uh, we would see these wonderful things in your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would do as we've just sung, that we would respond by offering our lives as a living sacrifice, uh, that we would want to serve Jesus with all of our being. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Yeah, so Luke chapter 24 is uh, Luke's account of the resurrection of that first um, Easter day. And... Uh, if you, we were to read the whole chapter, you see that the very first part is what happened very early in the morning, where the women went to the tomb and uh, they met the angel there. Uh, the middle section of Luke 24 is where the two of the disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus and Jesus himself appears next to them and uh, does a, um, I don't know if it was a Bible study or a, uh, uh, just an explanation of, of the Bible and, um, you know, how I wish I was there to hear it. It just would have been magnificent. Uh, but he explained to them uh, from the scriptures uh, that they were to expect the resurrection. And then we get to this section that we just read tonight, which is what happened that evening. So after all the events of the day, all the disciples, they're all there together, they're talking about it, thinking, you know, what's going on? And uh, so we're going to look at this, uh, what happened there. And what we see in this meeting we see three things about the resurrection that are very good for us to think about regularly. And the three things are the certainty of the resurrection, uh, we see the centrality of it, and the reassurance of the resurrection. Okay, the certainty, the centrality, and the reassurance. Uh, the certainty of the resurrection, that's seen in this first bit, so have a look again at verse 36. Uh, while they were still talking about all this, so it's talking about all the events that they 
heard about in the day, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, the thing that should really strike us when we hear um, the way the disciples respond to actually seeing Jesus, the thing that should strike us is, why did it take them so long to actually accept what they were seeing? You know, they, they've heard all these things, they, they see Jesus standing in front of them, and it takes them so long to actually accept the fact that he had risen. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, in fact, if you read through Luke's gospel, you see that um, twice Luke tells us that Jesus predicted ahead of time that he's going to die and then three days later would rise again. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 33, um, we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus told them on other occasions that he was going to Jerusalem, that when he got there, he would die. Three days later, he would rise again. So he had explained clearly what was going to happen. And uh, yet, on the third day after he had died, how many of the disciples raced down to the tomb at the crack of dawn, standing there waiting for him to come out? How many? None. <laughs> uh, when the women went down there, they were thinking that you know, his body would still be in the tomb. They got there, the stones rolled away, and they were like, what's going on? And then an angel appears to them and says, he is not here, he is risen. They run back and tell the disciples. What do the disciples do? They don't go, oh, that's right, Jesus told us about this. No, no, they go, what are you talking about? That sounds like nonsense. Uh, later that day, the, the two disciples, they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They meet Jesus risen. They race back and tell all of the other disciples. They're all talking about it in the room. Jesus suddenly appears, and what do they do? It must be a ghost. <laughs> it's, what's going on? Why is it taking so long for them to accept the fact that he actually has ridden, risen? He's he told them ahead of time. He, it was confirmed by angels, uh, as the women saw. Peter and John even saw the empty tomb. Remember that? How They, they had a race. Um, I can't remember which one won now, but um, they went in, looked there, and there's these folded clothes. How come they're still in that shape? Uh, they'd seen all this stuff, and yet Jesus, he finally turns up, and they freak out. Uh, so what's going on? In fact, have a look at verse 38. Um, Jesus actually has to, he has to convince them. He has to give them reasons why they need to believe the resurrection. And so in verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so here Jesus, he's giving them evidence. You know, solid evidence. Evidence that they can actually touch and squeeze. Uh, and uh, when, he, when he said this in verse 40, it says that he showed them his hands and feet. Look at verse 41. And when they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, in other words, it just seemed too good to be true. And so after all of that, what does Jesus do? How does he convince them? He eats a fish, which is fantastic. <laughs> Was he hungry? 
Uh, I don't think so, because if you look at the end, they gave him the fish and it says he took it and ate it in their presence. And it's like Luke is just helping us to see there that Jesus, he's, it's a, he, he's making a point. This is like show and tell. Okay, I, I'm eating this to prove to you that I really have risen from the dead. That I'm not a ghost. You're not hallucinating. Hallucinations and ghosts don't eat fish. Uh, only a, a real flesh and blood person does. And so all of this makes us wonder... Why did the disciples struggle to accept the resurrection so much? Why did it take them so long to embrace the fact? And uh, we're not actually told directly here, but we can make a very educated guess. Uh, the first thing to think about is, just can you imagine what, what they went through the, over the last two days? Can you imagine the, uh, the, the demoralising effect it would have had when they saw who they thought that was the Messiah hanging on a cross and dying. Can you imagine the turmoil they would have gone through, the despair they would have been feeling over the last two days to think that this one that they put all their hopes in, you know, someone they gave up their careers to follow this guy because they thought he was the Messiah and then he was killed. And so for those two days, you can imagine they would have been absolutely shattered and not only that, but they knew their Bibles. They knew that in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, it said, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And so the disciples were thinking, not only has he failed as Messiah, but it really looks like he was cursed by God himself. And so their lives were shattered. And when your hopes are shattered like that, you could probably imagine, you'd probably never want to hope again. It just hurts too much. But there's actually a deeper reason for why the disciples found it so hard to accept Jesus' resurrection, and, and that is that they grew up as Jews. And yes, Jews believed in the idea of resurrection. They believed that at the end of, at the end of all history, all of God's people will rise from the dead. They believed that. But what they didn't have any concept of was someone rising from the dead in the middle of history and entering into that end time state, right in the middle of history, while the world keeps on going as it is. That didn't register in their minds. And so to see Jesus risen and entered into his glorified state, right in the middle of history, it just didn't make sense. It didn't fit with their worldview. That's why it took so long for them to get their heads around it all. And the reason it's actually important for us to think about this uh, is because um, it actually shows us that back then, uh, there's no way anyone in the first century would accept Jesus risen from the dead and entering into his glorified state. They would not have accepted it. No one would have embraced this unless it actually happened. Because this is worldview shattering. This is like everything they thought had to be completely overhauled. That doesn't happen unless something big and dramatic happens. And so, you know, why would, why would, remember the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection were Jewish. Why would any of them 
throw out everything they'd been thinking and now embrace the fact that Jesus has risen, why would they do that unless it actually happened? It's harder to prove that it didn't happen than it is to prove that it did. Do you know, people today think um, we have lots of reasons to doubt the resurrection. People back then had lots of reasons to doubt it too. And yet many of them not only believed it, not only threw out their worldview, but many of them, if you're here this morning, it's on the internet, you can watch this morning's one, many of them gave their lives for their belief in Jesus, risen from the dead. No one does that if they think it's a lie. And so we see here the certainty of the resurrection. All of the doubts in the disciples, it actually points to the certainty. They wouldn't have embraced it unless it actually happened. So that's the first thing. The second thing we see in this passage, though, is the centrality of the resurrection. The resurrection is so central. You, in fact, I'll put it like this. You cannot understand who Jesus is unless you see him in light of the resurrection. The resurrection is that central. And I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, the, the way Jesus convinces the disciples, um, you know, he, he does the show and tell with the hands and then he gets out the fish, does all of that. But then he gets out the Bible. This is how he convinces them. He takes them to the Bible and he shows them what the Bible is all about. So have a look at verse um, 44. Uh, he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So what's Jesus doing? He's taking them to what we call the Old Testament. Okay, the, the main part of the Bible was written before Jesus came along. That's the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. That's a, a summary of talking about the Old Testament. But Jesus says here that all of the Old Testament was not necessarily about exciting stories for Sunday school. You know, just a whole lot of mishmash um, stories just put together for entertainment value. All of the Old Testament, including all of those exciting stories, are all about Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Everything in the Old Testament was about him. All of it. Uh, and, uh, and then notice what he says there. In verse 45, it says that he, that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So see what Jesus is doing here. Everything in the Old Testament was not only pointing to him in a general way, but it was saying something very specific about him. It was saying that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again. That's the message of the Old Testament, according to Jesus. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that the resurrection, it's part of a plan. This was something that, that all through history, as, as God revealed his plan of salvation, and it's recorded in the Old Testament all along, Everything was leading up to this moment when Jesus would come into the world, he would die, and three days later rise again. 
everything that God was doing to fix the consequences of sin in the world, to fix everything that's broken, it was all leading to this moment when Jesus would die and rise again. And now that it's happened, you look back over that history that's recorded in the Old Testament and now you see what it's really all about. That's what will happen with the disciples. Um, I've used this illustration before, so just bear with it. Uh, my daughter, we worked out that she needed glasses. She needed glasses so bad that when she finally got them and put them on, she goes, wow, I can see my feet. And so for, for Ruby, having those glasses transformed her view of the world. It went from being fuzzy to being clear. And that's what's happening as Jesus opens the Bible for his disciples and says, now look at it in light of that I've come and that I've died and risen again. And they look and it's like putting on those glasses. Everything that was fuzzy now becomes clear. Now they see what it's all about. And so if you think about all the things in the Old Testament, you know, things like temple, priests, uh, kings, prophets. Uh, think about the, um, the exodus or the manna that the Israelites ate in the desert. Uh, think about the Psalms that talk about a shield, a refuge, a shepherd, all of these wonderful images. But what are they all about? Now we know. They're about Jesus. All of those things, they're all about Jesus who died and rose again. But it wasn't until he came and did that that the disciples were able to see clearly. But now it all makes sense. And a good example of what I'm talking about is um, if we take the Old Testament's teaching on the Messiah and you can see the way that the disciples' understanding of the Messiah came into sharp focus only in light of the resurrection. So remember, the, um, all through the Old Testament, we, we've looked at the book of Isaiah a lot and there's all these predictions of, of the Messiah. You know, who is the Messiah? He's this great conquering king. When he comes, he will bring both judgment and salvation. And when he comes, he will put everything right. He will release those who are bound and oppressed. He will bring freedom. He will bring justice. He will restore peace to the world. He will deal with enemies under his rule. Everything will be great. And so to Jewish people, they read all of that. They're under Roman oppression at the time when Jesus came. And so they're hoping for liberation. They're hoping for freedom from this oppression. And all of their hopes were tied up in the Messiah because that's what they had read about. That's what, where they were looking for freedom. And so when Jesus came, he started fulfilling all the predictions. You can imagine how excited everyone got. Finally, someone's going to set us free from the Romans. Yet what happened to Jesus? What did, he, what did he do to the Romans? No, no, the question is, what did the Romans do to him? They nailed him down to a cross. They crucified him. They killed him. And worse than that, as we remember I said earlier, it looked like he was under God's curse. And so to any Jew who thought that Jesus might be the Messiah, that idea was completely crushed at the cross. There's no way in their minds that he could be the Messiah. But then what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. And that changed everything. 
And so when Jesus took the disciples to the scriptures and opened their minds so they could see it clearly, like putting the glasses on, the resurrection glasses, and they could look and then they saw, hang on a minute, the Messiah, this great conquering king who would bring salvation. How would he do it? As Jesus sums it up, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then they could see it all. Hang on. If, the, if Jesus has risen, then that means he wasn't cursed by God. It means he wasn't dying for his own sin. It means he must be dying for the sin of others. And the fact that he has risen means that God has vindicated him. God has shown that this, he is a righteous man, that he does not deserve death. And therefore his death can be offered on behalf of others. And so as Jesus showed the disciples the scriptures all about death and resurrection you can just imagine the lights turning on and thinking hang on a minute now all of those other things make sense all that talk about a sacrifice all those animals to be sacrificed an animal can't give you forgiveness it must have been pointing to something better of course it's pointing to Jesus the one sacrifice who can take away all of our sins forever that's what he did on his, in his death. And because he has risen, we know that it worked. And then surely Isaiah 53 must have come to their minds. He, you know, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And then all of a sudden the disciples realize that that servant in Isaiah, that suffering servant, is the same figure that Isaiah also talked about as the conquering king. The same one, the Messiah. How does, he, how does he bring freedom? By dying for us. What enemy does he conquer? Not Rome, a far greater enemy. The enemy of sin and death. It, now it all makes sense. Do you see the resurrection? It's so central. You cannot understand the Bible without the resurrection. You cannot understand Jesus unless you see that he's risen from the dead. In fact, it's not only central to understanding Jesus and the Bible, it's also central to salvation. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we can be certain that the payment he made for sin has been accepted by the Father. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus' death for you, you can be confident that you are indeed forgiven. That's how wonderful the resurrection is. It's this stamp of approval that if you trust in Christ, God accepts you in him. That's the centrality of the resurrection. So you, know, you can see this, the certainty of the resurrection. He really is risen. The centrality. You can't understand Jesus without the resurrection. And so let's finish up tonight by thinking about the reassurance of the resurrection. There is so much reassurance when we know that Jesus has risen. Uh, remember um, how I mentioned earlier that Jesus' resurrection happened in the middle of history. Um, when Jesus rose again, he entered into his glorified state, which is like an end time state. Something that the Bible says is going to happen to all of Christ's people at the end of history. And so when we see Jesus already entered into that state now, 
what we're seeing is the future already present. When we see Jesus risen and glorified now, then that gives us the confidence that what we will be in the future is actually true because we can see it in Jesus. There's that reassurance. Now, what will that existence be like? Well, let's look at verse 39 again. Um, Jesus said, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Okay, what, what will it be like for everyone who believes in Jesus? What will it be like when you rise again? It'll be just like this. Touch me and see. It is I myself. See, we will be like Jesus. His resurrection is the, the, um, the archetype or the, the um, I can't think of that word, but uh, what happened to Jesus is what will happen to us. That's what it's showing us. And so when Jesus says, it is I myself, he's showing us that the future for believers is a resurrection future, but it is actually you. See, that's a lot different to um, Eastern mysticism, which says that, well, they say your future is impersonal. You just become a nothing. But no, no, the, what, what do we have to look forward to? It is I myself. Not only that, but the resurrection is physical. See how Jesus says, touch me and see. A physical resurrection. That's what we have to look forward to. It's a lot different to... Well, again, Eastern mysticism, which is all just a spiritual existence. That's what they, they're looking forward to. But here we, what, what is the actual future? It's a material one. Because Jesus rose and said, touch me. You can actually touch. And so the goal of our lives, as we see in Jesus, is actually a real personal physical existence. What happened to Jesus happens to everyone who trusts in him at the end. And so if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Christ, here's what you have to look forward to. Death is not the end. Resurrection is. That's the hope. That's what we have to look forward to. Our fullest hope. It's not just personal continuation. You know, on Good Friday, we looked at that promise that Jesus made to the criminal where he said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that is such a wonderful promise because it was a promise of being with Jesus in heaven on the very other side of death. But you know, as wonderful as that promise is, it's not the ultimate hope. There's even something better, and that is resurrection. Uh, in the book of Romans, um, it talks about that the real longing that we have, the real groaning that we have in the world is all looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. That's the word that Romans 8 uses, the redemption of our bodies. And so the ultimate hope of a believer is actually to be with Christ forever in a resurrected body. And so when we see Jesus risen from the dead saying, touch me and see, we're seeing that's what we can look forward to for ourselves. It's incredible. And so when Jesus ate a fish, he's giving us a glimpse into what the future is for believers, that you will be able to eat in the new heavens and the new earth. 
you will have a new body that will never wear out. It will never, um, you know, start shrinking or gravity taking its effects on your face and other parts. Uh, we will last forever. Jesus lasts forever. We will last forever. Uh, we will eat with him. We will walk with him. Remember those words in Isaiah? You know, uh, we will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not faint. Ultimately, that's the resurrection body. That's what we have to look forward to, which means that we can walk with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. We can run with him. We can hug him. We can give him a high five if you're into that sort of thing as well. Um, but Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. That's the hope of believers. And what we see in Jesus is the hope of all creation as well, because Jesus promised that just as he has risen, he will restore all things, the whole creation, all put back to the way it should be. No more sin, no more death, no more decay. That's, and that's the reassurance of Christ's resurrection. How do we know all of that's going to happen? How do we know it's not all just pie in the sky? Because Jesus has risen. What we see in him is what we can look to for ourselves through faith. And so that means that if you're trusting in Jesus, you actually have a hope that is completely transforming. Now, you have a hope in the face of all disappointments, now, all the regrets, all the things that you feel like you've missed out on in life or the things that you couldn't do because, uh, because of some problem with your body, you know, goals that you couldn't reach because you got old and started to wear out, things that you couldn't do because something came up, your health prevented you from doing things. What we're seeing here is that It'll all be right in the end. That no matter what disappointment you go through, this gives you the hope that it's not lost. There's still time. There's all eternity. We will have bodies. You know, just to give a very, I'm sorry, it's a pretty trivial um, example here, but I'm, it's the only one I could think of. <laughs> um, do you know about, I think it was in 2002, I was working at a tree nursery. Um, and I was uh, helping construct a um, shed and I was holding this piece of steel and the other end of the steel fell off and I didn't realise I was holding it. When it hit the ground, it's, it sent a, like it ricocheted and it squashed the end of my finger off, so I lost the tip. And uh, do you know, my, at that time my hobby was guitar. That's all I ever thought about, just guitar, guitar, guitar. And so as a result, I couldn't play guitar and I thought to myself, that's it. I'll never be a rock star, I'll, um, probably for other reasons too, but I'll never be able to play guitar like I used to be able to. And for a while I was really, um, you know when you wake up in the night and you have those um, regrets that keep playing over, thinking, ah, oh, why did that happen? Why didn't I move my hand? You know, it's so annoying now I can't reach the, um, the G sharp when I'm doing an E. Uh, but guess what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Why? Because of the resurrection. Now, I know that sounds trivial. It's just the tip of a finger. What about other things that people have had to go through? Far worse injuries, far worse diseases. But I hope you see that there's a principle there in my example that you can embrace. 
What's the principle? That there is hope, there is resurrection. What you miss out on in this life, what you lose, it will all be made up because of the resurrection. See, eternity, it's actually a real bodily existence. I'll be able to play guitar in eternity. Uh, But the other side of this, it actually puts our lives in the right perspective now because if there is a resurrection, if there is a bodily resurrection, if we'll be able to run in the new heavens and the new earth and play guitar and, 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 and hug and all these things, then that means that we need to rethink the way we think about our lives now and the things that we think is important, the things that we feel like we have to get done in this life. It actually changes the way we think about retirement. It changes the way we think about um, bucket lists and, and the things we want to get done in life. We don't have to now cram it all into this little tiny existence. There's time for everything, but just not in this life. See, if we believe in the resurrection, it actually frees us to not worry about getting all those things done we want to. What is it, but what does it free us to do? It frees us to do what Jesus has called us to do, which is seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, they're all there in eternity. What do we do now? We seek first the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus has risen. And because he has risen, there's time for everything. There is hope for everything. But now we have to seek first the kingdom. I like how Jesus adds in that, um, in verse 39, where he says uh, to, um, sorry, not verse 39, uh, verse 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See, seek first the kingdom. (laughs) Proclaim the good news that Jesus has indeed risen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to think about uh, the, the wonder of Jesus risen. That This is not just some fairy tale. This is something that actually happened. And we thank you, Father, that we can know uh, that Jesus has risen not only from the eyewitness reports and not only from the fact that your word has always spoken about it, but also because we know uh, that your spirit uh, convinces us of the truth when we read the scriptures and we hear you speaking. So Lord, help us to uh, trust you, help us to be confident, and we pray that that would fill us with great hope uh, for the future and for our lives. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would embrace the reality of the resurrection in in the way that it reshapes how we think about life and and all of the regrets and and, uh, the things we want to get done. Help us, Lord, to start with Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead. And may we restructure everything according to that so that we can live lives that glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.